Hey everyone, uh, Roger here, Director of Student and Adult Ministry at Life Canton. Welcome. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. If you're a brand new listener, I want to give a special welcome to you. Uh, we're so glad that you're listening to us today. Uh, either way, uh, returning or brand new listener, I just want to let you know that God is up to so much in our community, um, in our church, and part of the conversation you're going to hear today I think it's proof that God is on the move. So if you want to participate in that um, financially, there are so many opportunities for you to do that. Head over to uh, lifechurchcanton.org forward slash give to be a part financially of what God is doing and to support his work and his mission. Um, You have a really awesome uh, talk you're about to hear today. We're doing a table talk with Pastor Nathan, Pastor Jared, and Bridget. Reynolds, uh, and they're just going to sit down and talk about racial justice. It, it can be a hard conversation, but one that, as a church, we've committed to having um, and to continuing to have. So they talk about a lot, um, and I think they do a really good job of unpacking and talking about uh, this topic. So give it a listen, and I'll catch up with you in a couple minutes. Enjoy. Well, thank you so much for being here. It's a little bit different today, and maybe you came for the first time on Easter, or you watched for the first time on Easter, and now you're here, and I want to thank you for being here. If you're new, we'd love to partner with you, to walk with you on your journey, so fill out a Connect card. But today is something different, something that's so necessary, and you see three people on the stage, and you may not know who all of us are. So my name is Nathan, and I'm the lead pastor of Life Canton. I'm Bridget. I'm the Vision Systems Director here at Life Church Canton. And I'm Jared. I'm one of the pastors as well. And what we're doing today is discussing uh, a position paper. I'm going to throw a link up there if you want to follow along with us, um, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about what a position paper is. Um, Today, we have some hot-button topics uh, in our community. If I were to say to you that everyone in this room experienced no negative emotions in regards to politics, that would be an utter lie, unless there's someone in here who's just like, oh, I love politics, it never bothers me whatsoever. Well, we did a position paper on that so people could understand where we stand. And the reason for it is this. When we preach on certain things like politics or today, like racial justice, we're not preaching into a void and we don't pretend to. We know that when you go out there, these conversations go on and on, on the news, in the workplace, in your families. And in fact, some of your families have struggled with some of these issues because of different views. So when we're up here and we're preaching or the church communicates something, man, it's really hard not to see it through your own personal lens. That can be confusing and frustrating. So for us, we want to make sure we're clear about what we do and why so that you can filter it through these lenses. It also shows that all of us on staff and in leadership agree. When um, disunity is there or confusion There is a lot of chance for broken relationship. But when there's clarity, there's an opportunity to say, hey, you know, you said this in your paper, but why did you explain it like that? So we wanted to invite you in a dialogue. I could read this and I could preach on it, but it's better if you hear from different voices. So I want you to imagine you're sitting at the table with us having a conversation about this specific issue. And we've already seen how this has made an impact in our community. So here's the question I'd have for you. Same question I had for you last week. Do you have ears to hear? Can you listen and open up your mind to what God and his word say about this issue? I know this is not an easy topic. I know you're not sitting here thinking, oh man, this is easy. I'm really excited. Uh, That it's going to stir up emotions in you. 
and stir up things inside of you, and that's okay. What we're going to do is I'm just going to read it. Uh, All three of us are going to read it. We're going to take our time between paragraphs and just give you a second to dwell on it. And uh, obviously, this will be around forever to have dialogue. And then we're going to open it up with uh, some questions that Jared has prepared for us as we talk about why this is necessary and where we're going. Get comfortable. If you want to, you can even close your eyes if that helps you listen. But I'll start off with the introduction. Our world is full of people of all different backgrounds and ethnicities. This diversity is God's design as all of us are created in the image of God, the Imago Dei. The Imago Dei is, is a fancy way of saying the image of God. It's, it's a way for us to understand and remember what God has done inside of us in creating us in His image, though there's value in us. From the beginning, humanity has and continues to distort and desecrate that image. This distortion and desecration are even seen in the creation and perpetuation of the philosophy of race, such as racial categorization, racial prejudice, and racial supremacy. The reason for this paper is to answer this question. What does racial justice look like in the local church considering the current racially tense climate? Since diversity is rooted in the very image of God, participation, actively or passively, in the distortion and desecration of that image in you or others is a blatant offense against God. Therefore, followers of Jesus, it is our duty to protect and promote the image of God in everyone, including and especially the marginalized of our society. This act of promoting and protecting the image of God in the world is the basis for the biblical doctrine of justice. Proverbs 31, 8 through 9. The Evangelical Covenant Church, of which Life Church of Life Canton is a member, has done significant work in racial righteousness. It is distinctive of our denomination and our local church. Life Canton believes that all humanity is created in the image of God, as we see in Genesis 1.27, and that our differences reflect the diversity of God in the Trinity, Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Differences are not a problem to be solved, but a beauty to behold. However, racial justice is not just found in our culture, but also racial injustice is not just found in our culture but also our churches. We do not and will not subscribe to the philosophy and functions of racial discrimination because it's antithetical to the gospel. While we recognize there are institutions in our culture who rightly seek to dismantle racism in various ways, we believe dismantling racism must begin in the message of the gospel and flow forth into the actions of the local church. Our obedience is to Jesus and his word. It is not enough to simply not be racist. Therefore, our responsibility is to recognize how we have been complicit with racial injustice, repent of it, and then seek to restore the righteousness that reflects God's original design. This is an ongoing work. This is done practically in three areas. 
ongoing dialogue for greater awareness, building relationships to create greater proximity, and commitments to reaching out to our community to increase partnerships that pursue biblical justice and love, as we see in Micah 6.8. The pauses are intentional because this is heavy. This is a lot, especially if this is the first time that you've seen something like this. And this is merely scratching the surface on one page. I want you to recognize we feel that tension as well. We could have had pages and pages of stuff to write, but that's not the point of what we're trying to do. I want you to do something that actually Nathan asks us on staff to do regularly whenever uh, we're embarking on something new, um, having some kind of a new challenge in front of us, and we're talking about what that change or challenge is going to be. Oftentimes, he'll go around the room in our staff and just ask, What's one emotion that you're feeling right now? Just one. <laughs> and then we go around and we share what everybody's feeling. And if I could do that right now with all of you, I, w- I would love to do that. And I imagine we'd maybe have 100 different emotions that are being felt because we are all in different places and different uh, stages of our journey in terms of understanding this particular topic. And we are going to miss things today. You're going to leave here being like, yeah, but they didn't talk about this. But what about that? We didn't even get into that topic. Yes, you are correct. We are not going to cover it all. What we want to do today is go through parts of this paper and have a conversation among us uh, that hopefully will then uh, be a dialogue that you participate in as well with each other, with us, and with people in our community. So what I want to do today is just three things. I'm going to ask, where are we at right now? Where are we at? Uh, Why and how did we get here? And then third, what's the way forward? What what is the way going forward? And so I want to ask that to you guys. Where are we at? Uh, Specifically, when I see this phrase in the introduction, the current racially tense climate. Mm. Current. Current. that probably brings up a whole lot of thoughts. We might all have different images and ideas about what that means right now, here, for 2022, all the way spanning back to 2,000 years ago in the time of Jesus. That word current is intentional there. But right now, where are we at? What do you think of, uh, Bridget, when you hear that phrase, racially, current racially tense climate? When I see or hear the phrase, hmm, racially tense, the current racially tense environment, I feel inclined to um, give a little disclaimer. Uh, my disclaimer is, is that uh, I am one voice. Black people are not a monolith. I am not an expert in race, but I am an expert in my experiences. And I'm willing to share my experience in a way that I perceive this. So it's important that Maybe some of the things I might say might, may or may not resonate with you, but um, it's just important that we do have ears to hear. So I just want to do that little disclaimer. Uh, I like to think of our racial climate as like white noise. For me, racial tension is this persistent, pervasive, ongoing, undercurrent in my life 
that is not a day that goes by where I wake up and realize that I am a black woman in America. I'm a black woman. I realize that what that means, the meaning of that, and this, and I'm very aware of the space that I take up and the responsibilities that comes along with that. So when I think about the white noise, I think about uh, in the racial climate, uh, it makes, as I said it before, uh, it's almost as if we've had an invitation to the party to talk about race, but a lot of people's invitations got lost in the mail. <laughs> and we want to invite this dialogue um, when it comes down to this, but um, one of the things that I have a tendency of noticing that what you focus on, you it expands. And uh, whatever you choose to, you know, focus on, it, it's just gonna be, it's gonna be that much more illuminated and that's much more intense. So the tension has always been there, where some people are able to actually push that mute button. For me, on a good day, I'm able to just turn the volume down, but I'm always gonna hear that hiss. Um, however, what I do to try to overcome that is to realize who the real enemy is, because I know that the Bible has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness and that he has something to say on justice. And also just the fact that why are we dealing with what we're dealing with? Um, I like to say that um, things are created twice, once in the spiritual realm, in the visual realm, and then secondly, in the physical realm. Because Tony Evans, he has this saying that says, um, if, you, if what you see is all you see, then you do not see all that there is to be seen. And it makes me think about Ephesians 6 and 12. Like For our struggles is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So when I see people maybe doing things that um, are not godly or that are not peaceable or just kind of want to piss you off, um, I realize that they are just the conduit. They're just a vessel that there's something going on that's much higher, that's much greater, that I need to make sure that I am not getting confused with who the real problem is, so um, or who the real enemy is. And um, I also believe that a lot of this racial tension that we are seeing today is because the truth is being revealed and that we're getting closer to the truth. And that when you get closer to the truth, the truth is going to set you free because our people perish because of a lack of knowledge. And as soon as you turn out the light, the darkness has to dissipate. It has to retool. It has to re-equip and figure out how can we make sure we keep people in darkness so they cannot have, be, have that spirit and that bind of unity to be able to tie their hearts together and to move in one place and go in one place and be on one accord. Um, so I'm really excited about the work that is being done um, within the Evangelical Covenant Church as a denomination that we are a part of because we have a lot of leaders and people who are at the forefront and being the clarion call not only for the people out in the world, but more so for this church. So the church can look like their daddy. They look like their father. And so people wanted to see and know God, they can be able to look at us and be able to look at uh, at, at um, our lives and see the influence of the Holy Spirit and let that be the fuel that drives us um, to be able to help lead this next generation. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. And um, one of the, I'll talk a little bit about, you know, the, the role that we have as, as people who are white in, in our next question in regards to this issue. But it, the question is, where are we now? And, and where we're now is that as the truth has been revealed more publicly, because it's been going on 
since the Old Testament, mm -hmm. um, these kinds of issues, but especially in America for years. But as it's coming to light, specifically around George Floyd, when those that moment during the pandemic served as kind of an awakening, an unwelcome awakening um, for, for most people um, to this, this process. As we've started to, to push in and to step into talking about these things, in fact, we call this Table Talk Sunday because we used to have Table Talk Thursdays. Mm -hmm. And we've had Table Talk Thursdays because all this was happening and it needed to be dialogue about. Um, where we're at as a church is that many, many, many people have left this church because they do not want to talk about these things and they'd see it as not part of the gospel. Mm -hmm. And so the, there has been all the prices you could possibly imagine that goes with that exit. So I am also grateful because there's an awakening and now um, the white noise, as it were, or the, the, the conversation is now more pervasive for not just people of color, but for all of us. The question is, are we going to mute, mm. right? Mm -hmm. Or are we going to do something different? To say it another way, if I want to, as a, as a white person, um, walk away from this conversation, I can turn off the TV and I can go out about my day. And for the most part, I can ignore this conversation. That's part of my ability or, or privilege, as you might say, for as a white person. For you, as you have said, if in your experience and from many experiences I have talked to people of color, you can't. You can't turn it off. Um, so since you are my brother, you're my sister in Christ, since you are my family, what then do I do? Now, I think if, if I had a family member who, who struggled with these issues, um, who, who was a person of color, and I just chose to ignore the issues they're in, well, most of us would say that's not loving. In fact, that might be heartless. Mm -hmm. um, but you, you're my sister in Christ. How much more so am I called to step into that pain with you? One of the things I've committed to and said to multiple people as a white person is, while it is my ability and my right and my privilege, however you want to understand those words, um, to turn it off. I will not. Mm. And I'll keep walking into the discomfort, into the pain, into the sacrifice, because that is what it means to follow Jesus Christ and to follow him in everything. So where we're at as a church is we have individual experiences, but we also have this corporate experience of pain and confusion um, and hurt around whether we'll be faithful to the gospel or we'll keep turning off the noise. Mm. Yeah. I think um, when I think about the climate, you know, there's there's two directions we could go with that. You know, some might say, well, there's there's a climate that's felt sort of out out there, out in culture, um, but then there's a climate in the church, and when those two somehow become married, that's where I found in my conversations with mostly white people um, that there, there's been discomfort there, and and like you said, that it feels like we're bringing culture, what's happening in culture into the church. And, and that takes a lot of unpacking because it's actually always been a part of the church and certainly mm -hmm. in the American church. But it's, it's been in, like you said, all the way back to the Old Testament. Um, and so some of the concern is, well, aren't you just bringing politics into church? I want to be clear about something. Uh, I heard this phrase recently that um, the gospel is political. The gospel is political, but it is not partisan. And what they mean by that is that to say Jesus is Lord 2,000 years ago, it's a political statement. To, to say Jesus is Lord, you're inherently saying and, or implying that Caesar is not Lord. 
because they would have believed that Caesar was the son of the gods. Caesar was Lord. And so to say Jesus is Lord is a political statement 2,000 years ago. So what we are engaging in in the gospel is by nature political, but not in the way that that term has been co-opted by various media outlets. What we are engaging in is a gospel matter. Hmm. And it's, it's not, yes, it's current. There is a current uh, nature to it. But this has been going on for centuries and, in fact, was the first issue of the church, which we talked about. You, you, you guys talked about on stage, uh, and then you continued with a sermon um, a couple months ago, Acts chapter 6. The, the Greek widows and the Hebrew-speaking widows were being discriminated against. Racial discrimination was the first major issue of the church. And so for us uh, to say, well, aren't we just bringing politics into the church? They've always been there. They've always been there. It's how we respond now that is uh, the most pressing. And I think what's interesting to me is we've been prepping this since, what, May of last year? Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and it may feel like this conversation is just a response to what happened recently in Grand Rapids, or maybe some of you may not be aware of what happened recently, uh, several events now that I was just told, uh, in Plymouth Canton School District. And all of you students are dealing with uh, various events that have taken place. And now on May 11th, uh, the school district is going to be having a forum talking about these matters. This is why it's incredibly important that we understand what we're doing here is founded in, rooted in the message of the gospel, first and foremost. And so that's what sticks out to me about uh, the current racially charged climate uh, that we're speaking of. I want to kind of move more towards how do we get here? Why did we get here? Um, and we look, at, we look at the words on the position paper that are kind of big words, distortion and desecration of the image of God. You and I, we all bear the image of God. But since the very beginning, not just recently in culture, but since the very beginning, that image has been distorted, changed, uh, manipulated, desecrated, what comes to mind when you guys hear those words? Bridget, I'll start with you again. In all honesty, when I first hear those words, I can't help but think of uh, power, money, control, um, subjugating people. <laughs> um, and that that is not God's original intent. And um, it makes me think also of, of just the Imago Day, how God's imprint and images on all people, and that all people have this inherent value mm -hmm. and dignity, yeah. and that no, there's, you know, there's one race, is the human race, and we have more in common than not, yeah. and um, and it's very sad how we have used race as a divisive tool, and um, but it's important. It's interesting we talk about going back to the beginning. Um, or where, how do we get here? Um, sometimes when you're in the American context, you're like, okay, starting like 1619 or 1492, when you start throwing out all these dates. But no, it goes all the way back to the garden. It goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. It goes all the way back to the fact that it's sin and that racism is sin. And when you have a sin, a, a spiritual issue, it needs a spiritual solution. And um, just the importance of realizing that we want to use history 
as not a way to help people feel bad Mm -hmm. or make people feel bad or guilty or like, I didn't do this. Mm -hmm. Um, I like to believe that um, guilt has this redemptive quality to it as well, that it can bring forth godly repentance. Godly sorrow can bring forth repentance. And um, that we need to make sure that, um, that God is at the center of all that we say, all that we do, how we interact, that we will be Christians first, authentic Christians first, and everything else will be a dangling modifier, whether you're black, whether you're a woman, whether you're whatever um, you want to add on there. So that's my heart. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think I love how you say the, the desecration of like the individual, but there's been a desecration. What desecration means to, to, to violate the sanctity of, and a distortion is to, to bend and mold into something new. And it has to do with the church. And, and as I've been in this process, I realize that how we've led the church, um, and by we, I take responsibility for us and also for the pastors of the past. I have no problem doing that whatsoever. Um, what, what we've done is we have let something come into the church mm. that has stolen our identity. We talk about reclaiming our identity in Jesus. When you follow Jesus, you lay down your life. You lay down all the things that you find value in, like my position, my power, my skin, all those different things. You lay those things down, and instead you're picking up a new identity. Last week, I talked about this inheritance, this grace, things that we could never deserve. Mm-hmm. Well, for many of us as Christians, what I have seen to become true, not just this issue, but in many issues, is that we did not learn how to lay down. Mm-hmm. We just picked up the inheritances that we could and didn't lay anything down. Mm-hmm. And so I find that Christians who have, because we do, learn to, in the moment, say, I'm laying everything down and picking up Christ. Their ability as white people to take on these issues of racism is not that hard because they've already done it. Here's what I mean. To admit that racism is real beyond, I'm not just a racist, but racism is real and that I have a responsibility at whatever level to be part of that is an identity crisis. What I mean is the way you have seen the world as a white person is completely changed and different. And so what it's going to do is reveal to you all of the idols, which means the places I find my identity in. Mm -hmm. So when people talk about racism, they say, I didn't do this. I didn't do this because they're trying to push away responsibility either because they feel bad and they don't want to feel bad, which I get, you know, that's not the point. But because now I have to look at every aspect of my life through a different lens and it reveals very quickly the ways that you have as a white person picked up identities found in our community and into the American white church as opposed into Jesus. Yeah. And let me, let, me, let me phrase it another way. When I hear people talk about their rights, my rights, my rights, my rights, my rights, that is an American concept 120%. It is. Now, I like that, you know, it says endowed by their creator with inalienable rights. Yeah. Well, the inalienable rights, we're talking about the ability to breathe. Yeah. What we're talking about often is our rights not to be inconvenienced. Rights to be comforted, mm-hmm. rights to not be told I've done anything wrong, or rights to not have responsibility for anyone else except who I choose. These are all things that are not are found in our American context. I challenge you to find them here. Yeah. So when you say that I that racism is real and I don't want to do anything with it, what you're saying isn't is 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 because it's not a gospel issue. The refusal 
to deal with it is actually anti-gospel. So what I'm telling you is I'm taking it a step further. You're anti-gospel if you will not take on these issues. That is a strong, strong statement. But what I would submit to you is just Jesus. Yeah. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. If anyone had any rights to be glorified and honored and to be loved and cherished and all that, it was Jesus Christ. And he gave all of those rights up for you. And then he said, follow me. I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And our greatest joy, our greatest peace, our greatest passion, our greatest experience of glory is to follow Jesus in that. Now here, uh, uh, this is a strong statement, and I'm good with all of what I've said. Let me explain it this way. The reason why someone can watch Patrick in Grand Rapids, a black man, and this is, this is graphic, gets shot in the back of the head by a police officer with his knee in his back and pulled out and not feel anything and not feel um, upset and not feel like that's not right, what just happened there is not right, to watch a man's head go still. Let's get real. And to not feel that this is wrong comes from the idea that if you do admit that this is wrong, then it doesn't just happen for whether someone gets shot, but it moves all the way back into the places of, of, of security and comfort and means that if that's wrong, then I have to change what I'm doing today. It's an identity crisis. I am asking and demanding on the behalf of the Word of God for people to choose life And I'm, I'm, obviously you can tell, I'm a bit raw with this. I'm exhausted. Because what I have done for three and a half years, and this is just three and a half years, I don't know what it's like to be born into this and then to have to go over and day and then day out. I don't know what it's like to be a five-year-old with, with, with a skin color that's different. I don't know what it's like to be, you know, someone who's trying to get, I don't know any of that. I just know what I've seen in the last three and a half years. What I've seen is people sitting across from me, white people sitting across from me, and they tell me all these things, and they tell me that this is in the gospel, and they don't talk about Jesus. They talk about their comfort and their rights. Oh God, would we have the humility to even allow ourselves to ask the question, what would Jesus do? Not what must I, what must I protect? Yeah. Because what I find people are protecting is an American version of Christianity, which is anti-gospel and is no word at all. It is no good word. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm. I think about... Um, sort of combining two things that both of you said. Uh, I didn't do this. And American rights. And when I think about the question, how did we get here? Why did we get here? And I think it's because a lot um, has been done to distort and desecrate our theology uh, to develop, specifically in the American church and maybe even more specifically in the American predominantly white church, a theology of individualism. Yeah. My faith is personal to me. It is about what I believe, and it doesn't affect anybody else. But this, is, this whole thing is written from a collectivist society and a group of people who understood their identity in God was not just uh, exclusive to themselves as individuals, was that, 
but they saw themselves in the context of a community. And so there is a collective um, response to how they see injustice in the world, certainly racial injustice, but any kind of injustice. There was always a collective um, responsibility and a collective ownership to that. And I think what has happened is we have developed a personalized, individualistic, Americanized version of Jesus that we believe in. Um, And I think, you know, to to hear, well, I didn't do this, sort of, um, but there's still a responsibility. And I think, I I read this recently, um, this book called Subversive Witness by Dominique Gilliard. He's actually in charge of the racial righteousness arm of the ECC, and he's written uh, two books. This is his second one. The other one is about mass incarceration, uh, which is a hard one to read. Um, but this one, he quotes Isabel Wilkerson, the first African-American woman to win a Pulitzer Prize in journalism, who uses a metaphor. I do well with pictures and metaphors, and maybe you uh, do as well uh, with images. She writes this. She describes our collective response as though we are moving into a house. Let me ask you this question first before I read this. How many of you own a house? How many of you own a house with a basement? How many of you had have water in your basement whenever it rains in Canton or Westland <laughs> or the surrounding area? Yeah, you know the feeling. So I want you to go to that feeling as you hear this being read. She says this, with an old house, the work is never done and you don't expect it to be. America is an old house. We can never declare the work over. Wind, flood, drought, and human upheavals batter a structure that is already fighting whatever flaws were left unattended in the original foundation. When you live in an old house, you may not want to go into the basement after a storm to see what the rains have wrought. Choose not to look, however, at your own peril. The owner of an old house knows that whatever you are ignoring will never go away. Whatever is lurking will fester whether you choose to look or not. Ignorance is no protection from the consequences of inaction. Whatever you are wishing away will gnaw at you until you gather the courage to face what you would rather not see. I'll finish with this. Many people rightly say, I had nothing to do with how this all started. I have nothing to do with the sins of the past. My ancestors never attacked indigenous people never owned slaves. And yes, not one of us was here when this house was built. Our immediate ancestors may have had nothing to do with it, but here we are. The current occupants of the property with stress cracks and bowed walls and fissures built into the foundation. We are the heirs to whatever is right or wrong with it. We did not erect the uneven pillars or joists, but they are ours to deal with now. If you've moved into a house that's old, It gets water in the basement every summer that it rains here. None of us would just close the door to the basement and be like, it's not there. I'm just going to, it's just not there. Eventually, the smell is going to come. The mold is going to grow in your house. You're going to get cracks in the foundation, the whole thing. You're going to have to replace the whole basement. None of us would run away from that. And yet, what she is saying is This is what we've developed. She says in America, I would say the American church. Hmm. Maybe I'm not responsible for things that have been done by my ancestors, perhaps, but this is the house I'm living in now. And it is my responsibility 
as the owner of this house, as an uh, inhabitant of this house, to make sure that the foundation is improved, is repaired, is replaced, and then built upon it appropriately. You've been talking about the foundation a lot as well. What, say the thing that you said earlier about the importance of a good foundation. If you're, let's put it this way, let's break it down. I look at, I'm going from the context of our local church. We have a lot of different people who are attracted to Life Church. We have some people who have been here maybe even the past three years, and they don't have baggage. Mm -hmm. We got some people who've been here for a little bit, and they got a couple of wounds Mm -hmm. and scars, and we're just trying to lick them and get back together. (laughs) Um, But the bottom line is is that we want to make sure that we have an opportunity to pour, to do something new here at Life Canton, to pour a new foundation, but to make sure that we're examining the foundation that we have and to um, making sure that we're edifying it and that we're not glossing over it and that we're making sure that we are remembering our past so we won't, be a, we won't perpetuate any problems that we've had. And as we go forward together, united in the future, um, we want to make sure that that foundation is tight because if it's not, you're going to see those cracks in the walls, and you're probably going to have the same conversations 10 years from now because you didn't take the time to do it right. And it's important that we understand what the problem is because we shouldn't be trying to solve problems that we don't understand. So it's going to take some time. It's going to take some energy. It's going to take a concerted effort in order for the body to just allow God, allow the Holy Spirit because sometimes we do things and um, we want to have that next new program and we have these these good ideas, but we want God ideas. And there's a distinct difference between the two because whatever God builds is going to be sustainable and is going to last where. Yeah. That's right. And that's where we need to camp out in, and that's where we need to get rooted and grounded. And I'm thinking about the gospel. Sometimes, I know New Life Sunday next week, we're going to have people who are going to be sharing their stories about how God has influenced their lives. But I would like to even challenge us that we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day and to not forget what God has done and what God is doing and where God is going. Because it's that commitment, that constant renewal of our mind, that day-by-day submission, that day-by-day allowing yourself to let his righteousness to be the driving force and not the guilt. Because our bodies are not designed to hold the weight Jesus died for that. So I just, that is what something that I'm really excited about, about the, just the foundation, this opportunity to do something new and to do it right and to do it well by the leading and guidance of the Holy Spirit. That's great. Let's continue to go down that theme, what you're excited about oh. as we move forward. What, what is the way forward? You mentioned it's not just a simple program, and I think you kind of alluded to that earlier this morning. It's not just a program. What is the way forward? Yeah. I think the way forward is obviously part of our vision. And we talked about reclaiming our identity. So the way forward, I'll start there. The way forward for many of us, white and black, but the white, those of us who are white have some work that we have to willingly choose to step into. And that's the difference. Whereas as those people of color have been confronted by this, and, and many times they have a much stronger faith in Christ because they've had to find their identity in Him, mm-hmm. where we don't have to, so it's actually harder. Uh, because we have to choose it. And so I'll go back to that idea of, of choosing. Um, mm-hmm. Proverbs 
31 says this, because we talked about this is a biblical mandate, and I said some strong words earlier. Um, It says this in the Old Testament, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of those who are destitute. Mm -hmm. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. And and so there's the idea that we have to reclaim our identity. So there's opportunities for dialogue we talk about in the paper. For, for opportunities to have some raw conversations and grow and to learn the things we have to give up. You know, one of the things that I've learned over the last three and a half years is, is uh, many people would, would say, Nathan's kind of like a person who doesn't care what other people think. And um, I, I would say that that's generally true. Like I, I do care a little bit, but I didn't realize how much I actually cared until the events of the last three and a half years and the, um, the issues that came up and the, um, the, the desire for my role to, for me not to have my job anymore, those kinds of things that have happened to me mm-hmm. in the last three and a half years, which is not something we're currently going through. Yeah. Um, you realize how much you do care what other people think. And so there's these onion-like layers inside of you where my identity, whether I would say it or not, was wrapped up in what people thought of me, people who, who, who told me you're wrong. So what I would say is to walk into this is to reclaim your identity and it's going to be hard. Yeah. That's going to be difficult in a process. But what am I excited for? I'm excited for that. Because what happens when you do this, when I'm saying reclaim your identity, I'm not just talking about racism and that kind of thing. I'm talking about every aspect of your life, your security, your comfort, all of those things, your individualism. But when you start to do that and become a disciple of Jesus and we get to live more and more into the bearing the torch of Christ's justice and love, and what that means is, is not that we would provide a service opportunity or programmatic things, which can be full of problems if we do that, <laughs> um, and then you can become be part of it, but that you are the light in your workplace, in your school district, in your community. And as you grow, you start to bear the, the light of justice and love. And the church then becomes comes behind what you are doing collectively. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what we want to see people do. That's what the life journey is there for, is to ultimately get people to the place to reclaim their identity so that they can make a difference in the community. And what's exciting about this is, is where I think we are now as a church is very different than where we were a year ago. And we're starting to actually see that light shine out into the community to the point where we had, um, we had someone at the last service who does not believe in Jesus Christ or have any faith of any sort, but is here um, and is part of our school district um, they're here because they saw the email I sent out where we took a stand and said, like, this is, this is not okay. And we got to see something forward and had a conversation with me and is sitting in our services saying, I want to partner with this organization who has had no faith in, in Jesus. And so what we're seeing is that that's just a showing me that what we're doing is, is starting to produce. Imagine if it's not just me that's having that, but you, all of you. And, and I think that's exciting to me, and it seems feasible to me, that, that I'm not asking you to change the police system in Grand Rapids so that a person doesn't get shot. That's not what I'm asking you to do. Mm-hmm. I'm asking you to change the place you're in. Yeah. The, the students at our high school, they need people to speak on their behalf. Mm-hmm. So much so they walked out of school because they weren't getting spoken to. Now, I'm grateful that the church or that the, the school's administration has now spoken and moved forward and, and will support that. Yeah. But what, what are we doing? And, and I think it's easier and both, both harder, but more simple and easy than we can, we can yeah. imagine. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm excited about that future, about partnering with our schools mm-hmm. and our communities and helping them be what, what they can't be. 
and 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 seeing what what they can be that we can't be, hmm. uh, and seeing this change. That's what the biblical justice and love, Jesus's justice and love, looks like. Yeah, change. Yeah. What about you? What are you excited about? What's the way forward? The way forward. Mm, have a couple of thoughts. I believe that the importance of being renewed in our mind, to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind, that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God, Mm -hmm. that we realize that his thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways, but he has called us higher and he has called us deeper, and that we will be willing to go where he has lead, where he will lead us, Mm -hmm. and that he has to prepare and prepare that way for us. So I'm excited about the opportunity and the possibility of collaboration within our church as well as outside of our church. And I'm excited about the conversation that we have, that we possibly can be an influence or have a doorway into our communities as far as our our church and as far as the the schools, and as well as um, just being able to have that connection with people who are in our communities, who might be stakeholders, who are boots on the ground, who understand the issues that are at hand, and to be able to partner with them. Um, I'm excited about that. And I'm also excited about this, the sanctification and the, through the process, because nobody's coming in here like fully formed, but it's just a part of just God's design um, for us to basically come together and to be refined in, in our thinking. So I'm super excited um, that we have an opportunity to, to do what he has called us to do in the earth and to do it well and not to do it in our own strength. Yeah, I think that's huge. That's a good segue for what I'm excited about, not in our own strength. I think what I... Um, enjoy is getting to remind people and be reminded myself in shepherding conversations, discipling relationships um, that this is rooted in the gospel and if that's my starting place Mm -hmm. then the gospel of Jesus dictates how I respond to what's current in the world, not the other way around, what's the other way around? The other way around is looking at the news, deciding how I feel, and then responding out of my anger or out of my shame or, or not responding at all. Um, and I don't, I don't want to do that, and I don't want to put that on anybody. I, I want you as a follower of Jesus to respond out of uh, what the gospel has mandated in you, yeah. that you mourn with those who mourn, that you lament what is not good against the Imago Dei. Take time to lament. We have lost the art of lament. And it's okay for us to grieve. In fact, it's, it's necessary for us to grieve what we have experienced and what we continue to experience in some cases. Yes, grieve. Be sad that the Imago Dei has been twisted. That's right. It's not what it should be. And then, as we enter into that process of lament and grief, then we can turn that around uh, toward joy, hope, restoration, relationships. This has to happen in relationships, and it's hard. It takes time. Uh, forums are good. Town halls are, are fine. But where true change and transformation happens is when we engage in breaking bread together and in enjoying one another's company, in learning about one another's stories. Because you said earlier, you're one black woman. You don't represent every black woman or every black person in this room, let alone the world, right? Your experience is unique to you. 
so it's important that I take time to get to know you, but then it's important that I take time to get to know somebody else as well because they have a completely different experience. And so I think it's important to remember that. And so I'm excited about shepherding those kinds of conversations and relationships because it takes time. Mm. And I'm okay to take the time. That's, that's what we're here for. And that is what God has called me to do and called all of us to do. Mm. I think the last thing I will say too is this, is just again, recognizing the emotion in the room. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? If I were to go around to each one of you, what would be the one emotion that you would share with me right now? And I think the one that comes to mind often for me as a white person is I can go to this place of shame, guilt, feeling overwhelmed. And that is a real feeling, but I don't know that that's where God wants you to stay. In fact, I know it's not where God wants you to stay. I don't think the goal is for you to live in shame. But if there is discomfort, to take that to the foot of the cross. Yeah. To lay it down. As Christ was obedient to the cross and laid down his privileges to be obedient to his Father. If you are a follower of Jesus, this is all of our call. All of us are called to lay it down our own will, our own agenda before God and to ask the Holy Spirit, what would you say to me? Where would you lead me? Welcome back. I I hope you heard our heart and also what we believe God is calling this church to do in that talk. I hope that not only were you challenged, but that you were encouraged and that as you process that conversation and, and think about it and go to God's word with it this week, that you grow and you learn as well. Uh, and if you thought there was anything we didn't cover, uh, there, there's a lot of things for our, that we could talk about, um, but we we decided what we thought was uh, important, essential. But we also took the extra step of recording an additional podcast to try and catch um, some more discussions and thoughts and things that we felt were important to to talk about. So uh, I'm going to include that in a part two table talk. So go ahead and give that one a listen when you can. Um, it's same topic, but just some different uh, thoughts and, and things that uh, Bridget and Jared and Nathan didn't get to during the uh, talk on stage. So give that a listen. Um, but either way, if you're still processing not only just this talk, but anything in general and could use some prayer or some support, be sure to reach out. You can reach out via a connect card on our now page, or you can just reach out to someone on staff or in our community directly um, and just ask for prayer. We would love to do that for you. Um, either way, again, I hope you were challenged and I hope this week you take a step towards growth and a step towards a living for the kingdom of God um, based on how we respond to racial injustice that we see in the world around us. Have a great week. We'll talk to you soon.